This episode of Dungeons and Asians is powered by Quest, an easy-to-learn tabletop RPG that gives players unique ways to learn and grow through flexible rules and smooth player-driven action. Head to adventure.game and use code REPRESENT at checkout to receive 10% off your entire order. Again, that's code REPRESENT at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. We're here. Let's do this. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm excited and very nervous. Why are you nervous? Like, I'm extremely mer- nervous. Like, I haven't, we haven't, we've never streamed Dungeons and Asians before. Like, Steve, I think at this point we could confidently call ourselves streamers. I okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, why is there so I much mean, doubt in that answer? I, it's, Steve? it's not. It's not doubt. I just haven't. I have never really thought about it through that lens. Like yeah. there was. I. I. I was never like, oh yeah, one day I'll be a streamer. That's just like not a thought that ever occurred Same to here. me. Well, I mean, I when I was twelve years old, uh, just when the internet was being born, there, there will be was live thinking, streaming technology, and I will be a streamer. That's exactly what I was thinking. So yeah. I don't know what you were up to in your childhood, but. <laughs> you you were uh, inventing Twitch. <laughs> Mars, you know, uh, coming to us live from Twitch HQ. Um, <laughs> sitting on a couch stuffed with $100 American bills. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, they're made of cotton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, no, I just never thought. You know, I was thinking about it this past weekend. And it's like, wow, Steve, we're like. I guess we could call ourselves streamers because the stream was on the Huffington Post. Oh yeah, you, and that's really weird. That was hype. That was that was. And, a, and I think that was interesting. I was yeah, that was kind of like where it settled in for me too. I think where you know Jeremy reached out and was like, "I really like the stream you're doing, and I'd like to interview you." And I'm like, "Wow, yeah, yeah." And it was and it was crazy. And then we talked, and then. All, all four of us talked about whether or not we should do this. And then you and I talked a lot back and forth. And then we were like, yeah. When I found out that he was Asian, he told me that he was Asian. I was like, oh, okay. I feel way more comfortable doing this. And, and then it happened and the article was great. I thought it was wonderful. Um, so anyways, we're, we're back. Um, best-selling TTRPG authors, designers, sensitivity readers, your, your favorite Asian D&D stream is now live. Um, <laughs> for the first time in its two-year history, uh, we're live. Um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're calling this Session Zero Redux. This is going to be our mid-season, mid series overview. We're going to do a couple of things today. We're A, going to talk about what's going on in the industry right now, uh, why we're doing this, uh, what sw- system we're switching over to. If you're looking at us, if you're watching this on Twitch, you'll, or you're, you know, you've been following us on social media, you know that we're switching to Quest. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the system and how we're making our characters and I personally would love to go over some tools that we've used to actually make these characters and use them for a stream. Because I think what we've kind of done is really neat and a great way for us to collaborate. It's also an excuse for me not to talk about OneNote and to talk about something else. Um, because I know, 
I think Agatha and Steve are sick of me talking about OneNote. But Amar and I could talk about it all day. We talk about it for hours. OneNote is my second brain. Seriously. I, same here. <laughs> <laughs> and I still use it. Um, so first thing we're going to talk about is, first of all, if you look underneath Agatha's webcam overlay, <laughs> you'll see for the first time ever on any Dungeons & De Asians, Asians represent socials, there's an actual Twitter handle there. Whoa. If you're, if you're listening what? to this on the podcast, it's Mighty Shrimp, but with two Ys. I am Agatha, going to... Follow, follow. I'm going to follow it right now because I just realized follow. I didn't. I'm a bad friend. Yeah, follow it right now. And you know what I'll actually do? Um, I'll, I'll put that there so everyone can follow Agatha on Twitter. Oh, no. Mighty Shrimp with two Ys. Does that mean um, I have to tweet things? No. No, you do whatever you want. Oh, okay. I think you do whatever you want. But but I will, um, I will share that when I learned you have a Twitter, and I know you're going to get a lot of followers because you are a super valued member of this like stream, this cast, and everyone wants to know what you have to say because you're just that great. I have wow. this like... I know, I'm really buttering you up for something. Yeah, uh, I'm coming up for an <laughs> ego boost here. No, what, what I was thinking was like, man, I got to figure out ways to like check in with Agatha because Twitter can like be very draining if oh. you know you let it be draining. If you allow it to consume you, it absolutely can. So yep. I won't say any more about that, but I'm looking out for you. Yeah. Thanks. I, I think I think the thing with Twitter is that it's its own beast. And I think, <laughs> Steve, you and I really experienced that. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this stream. That's one of the reasons why we're, you know, switching games. Right now... Wizards of the Coast is doing, I mean, they're just continuing to dig themselves holes, let's be honest. Um, I got to actually, um, I don't th I think the, the thing with Wizards of the Coast is that um, they really did the, the communities outside of their white audience an injustice with how they were approaching their diversity and inclusion statements and how they were dealing with legacy products. And like a month ago, Agatha, I called out on uh, on Twitter. Twitter? Yeah, I called them out. I called Wizards of the Coast out for continuing to profit off of Oriental Adventures despite what they were saying about their diversity and inclusion. Hmm. And it unintentionally set off like this firestorm on the internet and... Myself and Steve, we got harassed online for like a month. Oh my gosh. You know, I was called like, I was called racial slurs. Um, people saying that we were like, you know, like we needed to go seek mental help. There was like a ton of really bad stuff. And it's all because we called out something racist. That's the craziest part. And Wizards of the Coast just like, handled this super poorly. Hmm. Um, they accidentally, well, they preemptively put a disclaimer on it two weeks later, a disclaimer that was basically shielded by a wall of text that nobody would see. And then one of our good friends, Orion, who worked at Wizards uh, for D&D, &D, uh, put out a statement saying that they were, you know, poorly treated at Wizards and that Wizards... You know, tokenized them and didn't uh, treat them fairly. 
and didn't value them for the designer that they are and the brilliant mind that they are. And I think it was then alongside our experience that we decided that I don't think D&D is right for us. And D&D was always tough for us at the very beginning. And I think this is something we need to talk about. We had a really hard time making our characters at the very beginning. And if you've been listening to the actual play, you'll notice that we have been barely interacting with the fifth edition D&D rule set. And I know Steve loves, like Steve was always like, I want to roll dice. I want to do this. And I was like, Steve, I wanted to roll dice too. But the problem was the fifth edition rules just didn't help us tell the story that we were trying to tell or make the characters that we wanted to make. And this was just an easy thing for us to say, like, look, Wizards is being terrible. Say no more. I'm not going to play D&D publicly anymore. And the three of you are, you know, entitled to act however you want. And that's just how I'm personally taking it. Um, but I think for our show, uh, a voice in the Asian community, I personally don't think it's right for us to play D&D, given what Wizards has done and given, you know, how little care they've shown stories that aren't white voices. Um, so here we are. We're taking our Dungeons into Asians, 5th edition D&D characters, and transitioning them over to a game called Quest. Uh, if you're interested about Quest, you can go to adventure.game uh, to take a look. It's a cool RPG. Um, we're going to be up front. We don't think, I, I mean, I don't think, and feel free to chime in, I don't think Quest is the perfect game for us yet. And I don't think any game, it, other than the one like we might design ourselves. I don't think any game is perfect for the stories that we're trying to tell. Um, but what has attracted me to Quest is that it is rules light enough and I would say versatile enough for us to actually make the characters we want with some hacking. Um, but it's mostly just a skeleton. There's no built-in world or anything like that that we have to interact with. Yeah. It's a rule set for making characters and telling stories. And that's what kind of has drawn me to that. Um, I've kind of listened back to some of our episodes and thought, okay, if we were playing Quest, how would we do it? And in many ways, we kind of already were. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's where I wanted, that's the piece I wanted to say. I don't know, Steve, if you wanted to say anything, because you've been really heavily involved in whatever's been going on right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally had to to work through a lot of emotional stuff, uh, not just with the podcast and the stream, but like my own personal groups and things like that. And I have to say, uh, my groups, I don't think they listen, but they, if they do listen, they've been absolutely wonderful and just like listening to me just talk about the tensions I'm feeling and some of the uncomfortable notions that I've kind of come across. And I let them know that Dungeons & Dragons... Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, has made me very uncomfortable. And it makes me feel better if they just allow me to speak my opinion and they listen to me. And then we can have a conversation about whether or not they, in turn, are comfortable with Dungeons & Dragons. And together through a pretty emotional conversation, all my groups have let me know they are comfortable playing Dungeons & Dragons. They are thankful that they understand kind of the... 
external factors, if I can <laughs> very vaguely call them that. Um, and we can all reconcile the fact that we are playing Steve's D&D, which is different. Steve puts effort into it. Steve like makes changes to better better play stories that we are all comfortable telling. And um, that was very meaningful. That was very impactful. And I'm very, very appreciative that my, my groups gave me the time to kind of work through that. So on one hand, I understand, Daniel, uh, on this podcast, I definitely, I, you and I talked about this. I don't think we should play Dungeons and Dragons for the aforementioned like reasons. But for the individual yeah. tables I run, where it's us being friends, getting together, trying to work through a pandemic, Dungeons and Dragons kind of makes sense. And we just have to deal with that. It's very complex. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. Like, the day after we announced that we were switching to Quest, I went to my parents' house and with my girlfriend, and we played D&D with them. Uh, it's the only RPG that my family knows how to play, and it brought us together. We weren't using any WotC like, content. Um, we were actually playing through a really cool book called Trilemma Adventures. It's actually nominated for an Emmy. Um, it's a collection of two-page adventures with beautiful maps. I think the creator lives in Toronto, too. Um, but we were playing through a, a really dark adventure, and we found out that my dad is totally the type of player who just fucks shit up. <laughs> totally just fucks shit up. <laughs> they literally set themselves up. They infiltrated this church or this temple um, to investigate this cult that was basically serving the local villages nearby, a gruel made from crushed and boiled spirits. And they lined up with all the villagers to receive their offerings. And they were like, okay, this is just a reconnaissance mission. We're going to check out the temple. And my dad's like, when I go up to the head priest to receive my dish, I pour it on his feet and say, fuck you. And I pull out my axe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Holy crap. There's that was always my dad. one. <laughs> <laughs> and, my, and my dad is that guy. That's hilarious. Um, so like, I'm still playing D&D with them for like level up gaming or the the therapy organization that I help run, we're still playing D and D um, because that's what our participants know. And that's what helps our participants work on their social skills. Um, but yeah, for this show, for actual plays, for any of my work, um, I'm not doing anything fifth edition. Yeah. So, um, we're going to get started with Quest. I, I'm actually curious, like based on, I know Amar, you might have, I think you just looked at it for the first time today, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, and, and like I've had a, a solid look at it. I'm curious, what do you think of it, Amar? Having, you looked at it, you looked at it for the first time maybe two hours ago? <laughs> yeah, something like <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. Um, I appreciate that there is kind of just enough crunch for it to be a game, I guess, for lack of a better term, but it doesn't overwhelm you with too many rules and too many specifics. Um, I'm glad to see that they are making good use of a, a D20. Um, they, they, the, the way that the resolution mechanic works is pretty cool. A 20 is still a critical hit. A 1 is still a critical uh, fail. Uh, but then you've got ranges within that. An 11 to a 19 is a success. Uh, I think it's 6 to 10 is a qualified success. So the GM gives you two choices that you have to choose between. Correct. Um, yeah. And then uh, I think two to five is a failure, but not sort of a critical failure, if I recall correctly. Yep. Um, so I think that that's really kind of cool that they did that. Um, 
grading because that is an innovation from the narrativist tradition uh, that we see all the time in Apocalypse World, but hasn't made its way into D&D. So it's really cool to have that. Yeah, there's opportunities to succeed, but with qualifications or flaws, which is really cool. A really cool dynamic at a table that I'm looking forward to seeing more at this uh, more like supported. We already do that because that's just kind of our style of play, but is more supported by the game uh, mechanics. Yeah, I, th- I think I mean, I, I really like how you brought up its these design roots in Apocalypse World, um, because what I love most about Powered by the Apocalypse is the fact that every role, whether it be a fail or success, has structural consequences built in. And that's what this has. In D&D, when you're rolling that D20, you either succeed or you fail. And you may critically succeed and you may critically fail. But a success is honestly not that interesting. Mm-hmm. And a fail is not that interesting. Yep. The only really interesting stuff you get is like your critical fail and your critical success. But in this, if you succeed, there, there may still be drawbacks. Um, if you fail, there are built-in consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I really like that about this system. Um, how I feel about the D20, I have no feelings on that. But I like that we have a dice system for now that is giving us something and our listeners and other people who might start playing Quest, a really good tool to tell stories. Like, yeah. you know, we, I think between all of us, we have decades of role playing experience. And it's easy for us to say, well, you know, in D&D, if you hit, you can make it narratively interesting. But for somebody who's new to the game, a kid, an after school program, a school, a therapy group, this, you know, the scale that they've kind of adopted from the narrativist approach in Apocalypse, Apocalypse World is really useful. Do they adapt it from Apocalypse World? I don't know, but that's that's the immediate vibe that I get. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, and I want to underscore something that you brought up there, Daniel, uh, which is that this is a very beginner-friendly uh, system. Um, I cranked through um, all the player sections in probably 40 minutes. Uh, in the uh, in the book, and the, I love the typesetting and the layout and stuff. It's beautiful. Um, I love that there was that one page uh, where it's a it's a list of ideas, I think, um, and they're aligned yep. so that they actually got the sentences get shorter and shorter and shorter. Yes. So on the page, it looks like that. It's uh, it's good layout is just uh, after my own heart. So this is also lovely. That's let's not, very let's interesting. Let's not forget the art. Yeah, the mm. art is beautiful and uh, very diverse. The characters portrayed are very diverse doing a variety of different activities, which I personally enjoyed. But I do think it's kind of interesting, Amar, that you think that it's uh, good for a beginner. I would actually say that this game is much better for someone who is um, experienced with role-playing games. And so you, but you want something that is less restrictive in terms of rules, uh, you have a good grasp of uh, of like story pacing or like of character archetypes and or mm-hmm. things that you want to do with a character. I think, which usually comes from having played a couple of games before. Then I think Quest is a great alternative. So it's great for us. I do think that um, for a beginner, though, I would recommend them to actually something more structured and then move ah, to Quest. That's See fair. that that's that's an interesting thing because that's what. So as when I was a teacher, when we were using D&D, I have actually, I said this on Twitter, I had wished Quest existed when I was a teacher. Ah. Because 
when you know Pathfinder or Fifth Edition D and D was too crunchy for new kids in the museum program, we turned to Dungeon World, and we know that Dungeon World, and this is before I knew about Dungeon World's, you know, creators' flaws, and there are certainly flaws with Dungeon World as a system. Yeah. Um, but Dungeon World is interesting because it has a certain amount of crunch to it, but then a certain amount of like confusing narrative freedom for a new gamer. Right. So the way I've kind of seen it is like there's the crunch end of like Pathfinder. Um, burning wheel. Like third edition burning wheel. Um, really many of the 2D10 systems. And then there's like quest on the simplicities side. Mm-hmm. And I find that like Dungeon World kind of sits in the middle. And in many ways, like sitting in the middle has challenges of its own. Yes. I mean, we can um, talk about the design of Dungeon World and its many iterations and like people's fan hacks of Dungeon World, which are so good and fix so many of their problems all day. But I guess right now we are doing character creation and talking about quests. No, that's okay. And honestly, I will, I will say like TC, who is the creator of the game, is actually in our chat right now talking Ooh, to the that's, community. That's and cool. we have an answer as to why the D20s because... TC likes the feel of rolling a D20, and I totally vibe with that. Yeah, that's um, fair. Like, also, like, I just, I like the D20. I like holding a D20, rolling it. I like it so much that I have it tattooed on me. Um, nice. It's true. But let's kind of get into, like, Dungeons and Asians and what it is. Because it's it's crazy that, it's still crazy to me, Steve. There are so many people who, who tweet at us, like tweet at you, tweet at me, tweet at Amar, and now in the future we'll tweet at Agatha. <laughs> Follow at Mighty Shrimp. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, that, you know, a lot of people came to us because they know our Asians read streams. Mm-hmm. And not because they listen to the podcast, and not because they, you know, really liked Dungeons and Asians. It's because they watched Steve and I read Oriental Adventures for 26 hours. Or they're watching us read L5R right now, which is, a vi- honestly, a- I'm having a lot of fun reading L5R. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the very nuanced discussions we're having uh, in that conversation. Like, I really like that. It's very different from our read through Oriental Adventures. So there are going to be a lot of people who might be watching this, listening to this, or even tuning in live who have never heard of Dungeons and Asians. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even think about that. Right? Because uh, we're like, oh, yeah, I love the stream. Or like, I like your YouTube channel. I'm like, what about the podcast? What about, <laughs> <laughs> what about the podcast? So now we, we have an opportunity to do our Session Zero Redux and introduce our new members of our audience to what this is. What is this show? Why did we do it? And what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, just before we leave the topic, I do want to yeah. put in a quick plug for uh, continuing to do the Al-Kadim uh, stream as well. That's yeah. ha- uh, happening uh, this Saturday, uh, which is uh, July 18th. So I'm not sure whether you get the podcast in time, uh, but you can watch it on the YouTube uh, after uh, if you miss it. But it's uh, happening this Saturday at noon uh, P uh, in Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, so once a month, the third Saturday of every month, we do something called Critical Read. And we're, you're, and I'm not saying we, because I'm just producing this, but Amar, you have a wonderful cast who are reading through Al Qadim mm-hmm. and giving these like incredible insights into that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so there are going to be people who know us from that. And we only did one. 
And it was incredible. Um, so, uh, what is Dungeons and Asians? I know it's different for all of us. Like, the experience is different for all of us. Like, what is Dungeons and Asians? Who is Dungeons and Asians? <laughs> Why <laughs> is Dungeons and Asians? <laughs> Jinx. Yes. Uh, and yeah, like, actually, I'm going to start off with that. I, like, you know, Dungeons and Asians, sort of as a headline, is an actual play series. Uh, but for me, it really is an opportunity to hang out with my friends, right? And to, like, Oh, Aww. I know, Agatha. <laughs> Amar. I'm a real softy, I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I always have so much fun and, and everybody brings such interesting ideas and energies and perspectives to the table. Um, I think I've said this before too. I love the way Daniel crafts a world uh, and comes up with very interesting scenarios and situations that we have to uh, both think and also sort of act uh like we have to think our way out of, but we also there are great opportunities for us to express our characters and to find our characters in response to these situations and in response to these things. Um, the emotional honesty uh, with which that <laughs> Steve plays all of his characters, but specifically Ning, it's incredible. Um, and I just love the creativity that Agatha brings. <laughs> it's just consistently mind-blowing to me, uh, the way that she plays her character. Um, and Dong Fong is it just it's passing shrimp, Iconic. I guess. Iconic at this point, certainly. Um, and it's just absolutely fantastic. And I really enjoy the way um, our character's uh, relationship is, is shifting and transforming. And it's just, for me, I, I love the experience of being a part of this group. So the root of Dungeons and Asians name change pending is we wanted to tell we well I think Daniel it was when you m messaged the group and was like there's no Asian dungeon <laughs> <laughs> no no that was at D and D live yeah I called Amar and I was pacing back and forth outside of the venue being like, Amar, I have, I have this idea. I have an idea for a Pan-Asian monster hunting squad. We would have guest DMs <laughs> talking about the supernatural. Oh yeah. oh yeah, and we should also do a D&D show that's Asian. Yeah. By minutes. <laughs> I remember that call. Was, anyway. Yeah, so amazing. this side project became a main project. <laughs> I still want to yeah. play that other game, but anyway. I do too, and I, I think we should... Um, we'll figure that one out, but that's not what Monster the stream hunt. is. Yeah. Monster Hunt. Yeah. Okay. I mean, after yeah. we had done the David and Goliath thing with Watsi, after that's done, we can add it to the yeah, list. Yeah, after, after we've kind of made our characters and we've settled into this and we've figured out what our lives are in quarantine. Honestly, like... Wow, on I'm stream? Happy. Yeah. I'm No, I'm happy that we've gone virtual and that I get to continue to connect with you. I know that, like, I feel like we've talked more now that we're in quarantine than before. Like, Amar and I, we just, like, text about our bags. Amar and I literally had a text chain, and we were just talking about flashlights and solar power. <laughs> we're such nerds. It, that is, nerds. That's so in character for the two of you to have a conversation <laughs> about flashlights. Right? Yeah. Um, like, Steve and I, we chat, like, Almost every day we talk about so it, be at the Discord or we stream on Fridays. We're just and checking then, in to be like, hey, I saw someone tagged you and it's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's been that. <laughs> and we've been supporting each other. And, you know, it's 
it's been really nice. Sorry, that Amar, you got me. You gave oh. me the feels. Hey, community is really, really important in yeah. this time. It may be physical distancing, but it's not social distancing. We're getting closer. Yeah. Absolutely. Emotionally. So, so for the rest of us, what else? What what is Dungeons and De Asians to you? Yeah, Steve. Oh, Steve. man. Uh, so my my answer is it's changed over like our sessions. So I, I when you brought me on, um, I was like, oh yeah, let's just play Dungeons and Dragons. I love Dungeons. I love Dungeons and Dragons. Let's just play. I have a ton of experience, and let's just you know. I also get to tell some Asian stories on the side of it. That's like a cool bonus. But like primarily, I get to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's dope. But I think after even just like session zero and just playing with Agatha, Mar, and yourself, Daniel, I kind of realized that I kind of play Dungeons and Dragons because it's kind of like what is in or or like generally from a market perspective accessible to me. Like if you think of like I want to play an RPG, Dungeons and Dragons. It's like it's like the Kleenex of tabletop RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but then after i started playing uh i was like wow i'm experiencing things at this table i otherwise would never experience at my other D tables that's very interesting i'm gonna have to digest that and then wizards of the coast kind of says their thing and i'm like oh interesting i feel like a little more uncomfortable about this and then we play more and we talk about it and i realize that you know, my perception of RPGs is really colored by just the fact that D&D is the only real RPG I've ever played. And thinking back on Dungeons & Asians, my most impactful, meaningful moments are completely outside of the system. Like, well, I mean, one of our most... Yeah. One of our most popular episodes, Amar and I held hands and watched you and Kiana just talk for two hours, and we didn't roll any dice. So that so that would be tension. that would be the that is the very first D and D session I've ever played where no dice were rolled, uh, and that is like a very impactful thing for me. And I think that was the turning point. That was like the moment where I'm like, "Wow, why am I playing RPGs at all?" And that's a very deep question. And it's taken me a very long time to get to an answer. And spoiler, I haven't really gotten to an answer. But now that we've kind of like you kind of like shook up my world a little bit. And I'm looking at Quest, and, and I might be looking at other games on the side. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, why not? Steve, I'm, we need to play more games together. Yes, we absolutely do. And just, like, that whole anxiety I feel about playing with people, and, like, I'm not an expert at the system. Because, obviously, like, I from a Dungeons & Dragons perspective, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm the master of these rules. I have, like, this weird psychological safety net to well, just, what like, play. What does that mean? What, yeah, what does that even mean? Exactly. You had a, you had a really good tweet. Um, I don't even know if you remember tweeting this, but it was so subtle. And you said there was this moment when we saw these birds and my first instinct was to attack them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the last episode, our latest episode of Dungeons and Asians, our heroes, uh, who you could see on screen or if you're listening, you're very aware of our bandit, our anthropomorphic shrimp and our water ganassi. But I think we'll we're going to have we're, we should talk about. Yeah. We should talk about that. Um now or in the future, they ventured into the shade wood to hunt this creature called the Shadow Marquis. And the Shadow Marquis was this gigantic mythical dog whose fur was actually black rose petals and its body was made of all of the victims of those who have um, encroached upon its sacred wood. And inside it was the body of one of the four nobles who are one of our mythical heroes uh, who protected the land from demons. Um, 
And in that, in that sort of um, recording, what, what I tried to do was actually introduce you to elements of Chinese classical mythology um, by talking about a very obscure bird called the, um, the Zhenyao. And they basically, their feathers can be used to turn wine into poison. Their droppings is acidic and can melt stone. And um, they have beautiful, vibrant colors. And um, you mentioned that when that entire scene happened, you thought, okay, well, this is a combat encounter. Yep. And that, that, that tweet really like hit me because I was like, oh, that's the impact that D&D has had on you. And that's your play style. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I remember feeling a tiny bit of shame at the end of that where I was like, like these obviously was like unfounded. You guys don't care if like that's how I think about seeing birds. But the shame really came from uh, a D- D&D Steve would be like, oh yeah, this is going to be a common counter. Let's figure out like how to tactically kill these birds. But like real life Steve and most other aspects of Steve would be like new birds. Cool. Let's like learn more about it. So like, yeah, D&D has like really uh, colored and I'm going to keep using that word because I can't think of a nicer way of putting it. Conditioned? Maybe conditioned. Molded? Maybe that's molded. These are all, these are all very, very good words, but they have had a profound, D&D has had a profound effect about how I approach problems in role-playing games and not so, always in a good way. So for, for uh, reference here, how long have you been playing D&D again? Yeah. Uh, 15, 16 years. Wow. And that's wow. half your life? Yeah. yeah. 20, 21 years here. Yeah, so ah. like it's totally understandable that <laughs> that has influenced you because you grew up with it. Yeah, yeah. And hey, we still had an amazing like time together. Our combat encounter did not follow the D and D rule. They like barely did. <laughs> yeah, um, the fighter screwed up. <laughs> it, like botched uh, a roll and just did not do anything. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, it was. Which I wanted to make it. My philosophy with tabletop RPGs, particularly those that are fantasy, is like, make it anime as fuck. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. That's a pro tip um, for people at home. That's a pro strat. <laughs> that, that's yeah. pro strat. It's valid. Um, DMing yeah. pro strat. I think it's it's a really... Um, Dungeons and Asians is, is a good opportunity, like you said, Steve, to kind of connect as a community and tell our stories. Like Agatha, do you have anything to add like about Dungeons and Asians? Or about how uh, amazing we are? Um, yeah, me, yeah. Uh, I would like to say before anyone forgets that we are great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just, we we're, were having a real love in there for a while. <laughs> we're, we're, we're double any nominated. Hey, yeah. <laughs> when do we find out? August? <laughs> yeah, August or something like that. We might be or doing Dungeons at like We might be doing Dungeons at the Asians live at Gen Con. Who knows? Ooh, um, teaser. Yeah. 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 Yeah, wait, so uh I do think it's kinda interesting, Steve, that you said that you felt ashamed that you a little bit, that you the first thing that you thought of when you saw the birds was combat. Yeah. I also thought the same thing, but I didn't feel ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I think the root of the shame comes from like younger Steve probably like in other D D games would have been absolutely right to think it would be combat because it would have been combat right yeah 
uh, and then like that scene would have been vindicated and like felt great. Like, oh yeah, I I called it. Let's kill some birds. <laughs> but <laughs> but current day Steve is like, wow, that's like a very it's a very final kind of story. Like that story kind of ends, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't have much more to go on that. And, and in that lens, it's kind of boring. Like there's a lot more stories you could tell about seeing birds that are very very mystical and like just Here's things outside thing. what you they're know. They're not even mystical. Yeah, that's, right? yeah, those are the other thing. <laughs> that's the thing. They they're they're not mystical. A lot of people, I saw somebody in the chat was saying that um they thought you were talking about a phoenix. I was like, "No, this is this is literally just a bird." This is just a bird with acid just poop. A bird. That's it. It's a bird with acid poop and yep. poisonous feathers. Um literally I th- I think that's something we have to think about when we're actually playing our games too. In D&D and uh, other fantasy games, and I don't want to just pick on D&D, I want to talk about, I, don't, I was going to say, I want to pick on everyone, no. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about games like D&D and Pathfinder, we're conditioned to think that when you encounter something that is considered the other by your group, by your character, you are expected to think that there will be conflict. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we forget about when we're playing these narrative games is that we are storytelling. We are creating a world. And I think that comes very much comes from my style of GMing or DMing, dramatic managing, is that I like a full world. I like a complete world. I like to know what kind of trees there are. I like to know um, whether we're traveling north, south, east, west. I like to know what kind of backpack I have. What do my buckles look like? Mm-hmm. Um and so the bird scene was re- literally all I was trying to do was make the forest feel more real. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, and full of dangers that are not necessarily malevolent or antagonistic. Exactly. And in Chinese culture, in Chinese classical literature, when you think about books like the Shanghai Jing, the classics of mountains and seas, um, the unknown, the monstrous, the strange is often the word that's used. The strange is just what's unknown. They're not necessarily evil. And this is where our entrenched ideas of alignment kind of really cause problems in a game that's Chinese. Because the way in Chinese culture, in classical literature, that you look at creatures and monsters and things that are scary isn't from the perspective of vices and virtues that are tied to religious ideas of what is good or evil, right? Alignment just really doesn't work Mm -hmm. in a lot of other cultures Mm -hmm. and how they view characters, heroes, villains, and the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just another reason why kind of D&D didn't work in our setting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an excellent example of when we talk about D&D being a European-based fantasy game. It's very localized to that culture and then for a lot of people they just kind of go well i assume that's that that's true of all cultures because eurocentrism uh but that's an excellent example of the difference uh between cultures in that way and yeah and what it, kind of uh, what kind of games or stories different cultures tell based on the presuppositions that usually are not made explicit yeah that's why i'm super excited for quest because a lot of the things that are very important in D aren't important or present at all in quest alignment race oh yeah steve right race <laughs> right 
are, are not present here. You could be what you want to be. So had we started playing Quest from our session zero and Agatha was like, what do you want to be? And Agatha's like, I want to be a shrimp. No questions asked. Right. But I remember when Agatha's like, I want to be a shrimp. All of us were like, cool. Let's figure out how to make it work in D&D. And we we're like, is it like a turtle? Is it like, what is it? Yeah. And yeah, it was tough. So, so how are we going to, can we talk about uh, Steve's character, the water Ganassi and, do you want to oh. start there? I don't know, Steve. Do you want to? I we can start there, but I have to tell you, well, I haven't. I don't have a resolution for this. So if you're looking for me for like how I want to go forward with it, the answer is I don't know. But I'd love to hear some feedback. <laughs> well, why don't we start by introducing your characters? Uh, okay. Oh, let's start on the. Um, let's start with. Let's go Amar, Agatha, and then Steve. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Amar, do you want to introduce your character? Sure. Uh, so my I play a character. Uh, named uh, Walid, who comes from the faraway distant land of Daesh, uh, which is a rough analog to sort of South Asia. Um, but, you know, fantasy, it's not just sort of historical, it's also fantasized in a number of ways. Um, but uh, there were raiders and pirates who would come from roughly the land of Shah. Um, or maybe they might actually be intermediaries now that we've kind of really expanded the world beyond Shah. Um, so they came and they would attack this port city that I was growing up in. And one time when they attacked, I was playing on the docks when I wasn't supposed to be. And I was really scared. And I ran onto one of, I, I ran onto a ship trying to get away from the violence and the, and the, uh, uh, the terror and accidentally ended up on one of the pirates ships. And then from there, I ended up going back and finding myself in the land of Shah. Uh, somebody from far away, a bit orphaned, uh, and took up banditry, uh, partly because it's hard to get accepted in uh, Shia life, I guess, but also partly because, you know, I didn't really speak the language, I didn't really read the language or anything like that, and so I just kind of took up whatever I could, could do. So my character, in a number of ways, the way I play him, though, behind, you know, there's, there's this kind of uh, emotional backstory, but he's basically uh, he's basically star lord from <laughs> guardians of the galaxy um he's a bit of a rogue he's you know fairly sort of charming he's a fighter that's his kind of main thing and i'm really excited to see the way that f those fighting styles evolve and that's an aspect of this world that we're building and this sort of setting that we're building that i'm really really excited about yeah and i mean like originally i mean even on our overlay on twitch and youtube it says walid is martial artist that might change maybe we'll lead as a bandit who knows if these labels will change yep right we're telling the exact same story we're just kind of changing tiny little things about it mm -hmm. story will be the same i am not giving up all of the stuff that i've written <laughs> and all the stuff that we've worked on mm -hmm. um labels are tricky that way right labels are tricky they're right? just they don't you know putting a label kind of puts a box in a thing and the label doesn't necessarily represent what's actually in the thing. And the thing may not actually be something that can be put into a box. We're going to tell a story and then hopefully there'll be handles for people to get a sense of it. But really the story is the thing. Totally. Absolutely. So let's go with um, Agatha. Who is Dongfang? Dongfang is a shrimp. Uh, and you can see mm -hmm. on in the overlay that... Uh, they are a shrimp with a lot of what are those called again? Uh, yeah, like like antennae. Antennae. Yeah, antennae. Um, and <laughs> and a giant uh, 
uh, weapon called a guan dao, and I would like to take this moment to point out to everyone on the stream who hasn't listened to the podcast before that let it be said that Dongfeng is the tallest character in the party. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's the most important thing. <laughs> uh, so Dongfeng uh, came from a river that flows right by the capital and they were kicked out um, for like political reasons. Um, so that's they, they're kind of like trying to make their living uh, a, 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 on dry land uh, by working f- as a mercenary. So that's how uh, they were drafted into this party led by uh, Steve's character Ning. Uh, there, I started off uh, wanting this character to be a lot more charming. Uh, I, I put like my charisma to be really high, but then um, Amar stole that <laughs> that role. <laughs> Thanks, Amar. <laughs> so, so I, didn't, then, I didn't mean to step on your toes. <laughs> how dare! <laughs> this oh, is the time I've decided to point it out. No, it's <laughs> it's fine, and I think that it, that's this is the a reality f- TV show. This is the yeah. time where we dish on each other. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the talking heads, um, and. I think this is the fun part of role-playing games, though, right? Like, you start off with an idea, and then it kind of goes somewhere else, and then you learn about what you want this character to be uh, as you go. So that's fun. Uh, I, I haven't figured out um, their their weakness yet, but I'm sure they will have it. I've got questions for you, actually, today. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so one of the things we talked about with Tofung is, like, you're a shrimp. Yes. And now that we're playing Quest, it's like, yeah, you're a shrimp. Simple as that. Yeah. You're a shrimp. Um, and it's up to the, us to figure out in the story why you're a shrimp. We talked about you being potentially from the sky court, from the heavens. Yes. Once upon a time. And being sent down here for a reason you don't know. And that's for us to figure out. Um, and I'm really excited. Like, I've kind of explored different ideas. Like, maybe is Dongfang like like a Xian, like a, like a celestial being with like a, a long or mortal lifespan is Dongfang reincarnated. We originally settled on you being a sky soldier as our like a class. Yeah. I guess our role. Yeah. Now that we're doing quest, the, the term is now role. Uh, because of your heavenly divine origin. Yeah. Was Dongfang just a shrimp that was swimming in the pond that one of the Bodhisattvas is <laughs> like <laughs> meditates on? Because like that happens with like... What is this? Because that happens with like the fishes, right? There's a, that kind of fish that... That people like to... What is that fish called? You know, the one... Like a koi? Yeah, like the koi fish. Like, there's a lot of stories. Yeah, of them, like, jumping over the bridge to become a dragon. Gyarados. Like like Gyarados. Yes. Wait, wait, does this mean Dogfong's going to have, like, a final form? If we kick Dogfong enough, Dogfong will evolve into, like, a a mantis shrimp? So is Dogfong's role (laughs) Madricarp? Yeah, so... We're all Pokemon, right? Yeah. Yeah. We are. Wait, does that make me the Pokemon trainer? That makes you Ash. Ew. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't want to be Ash. Oh, Ash, the worst. Ash, ew. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to be Ash. That came from the soul. I am apologize. <laughs> don't apologize for that. That's a truth for you. Okay, so if okay, so if if Daniel's Ash I like that. I love I oh are we gonna I don't wanna be Ash. No, let's have this moment. Okay, who is everyone? Uh Team Rocket. But which one? 
No, Team Rocket. <laughs> no, you no, can't. Amar is just the team. You Amar can't. Is the entity that it, Amar is the entity that. Are is you team like? Rocket. Are you like Giovanni with his uh, his like big cat, or are you? Listen, are you to Wobbuffet? quote Walt Whitman, <laughs> I am large. I contain multitudes. I'm Team Rocket. <laughs> Don't like it. I reject your answer. <laughs> well, actually, well, so, I mean, what I was thinking about is, so you know, my character, uh, you know, pretends to be the rogue, but is most often just a fool right yeah okay and that's so fair. that's yeah and i thought that that was the difference between sort of your character and my character going back a little bit here to defend myself against this accusation of uh, stepping on somebody else's toes but i thought your character was sort of in character funny my character is just a fool so he's funny because he's an idiot <laughs> so ah. i'm bug i'm bug catcher daniel bug catcher. <gasps> oh <laughs> that's me shorts are really comfy yeah st- st- wait you st- know what's even better than just shorts don't fucking say it cargo shorts oh my <laughs> i hate this steve what are you i i also hate this uh i am a butterfree from season one the butterfree <gasps> that uh ash has to understand that butterfree is looking for something more and <laughs> once butterfree finds more of their own kind they understand that you know maybe it's not the right life just to be uh, a pokemon for a trainer but to like go off and find their own path wow it's like <laughs> it's like the mariah carey song butterfly <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Mariah Carey. Yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. <laughs> Someone at her. <laughs> you, you can do it now because you have a Twitter. I know, right? Hey, Mariah Carey, did you know that DM Steve <laughs> is inspired? That Steve gets the follow. Yeah. <laughs> Agatha, who are you? Before we move on to... Oh, I'm Magikarp, right? That's, oh, sorry, you're Magikarp. That's Duh. what we established. <laughs> I splash. Yep. Okay. That's a skill. So we've got we've got Dongfeng, who's who is a mystery to them themselves, and of course to the rest of the group, which I think is very interesting. But I think the thing that is very clear about Dongfeng is their friendship with Walid, their loyalty to their friends, and their love of Manto. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's. More than love of Manto, it's like this fear of the Manto being eaten by someone. <laughs> no <laughs> Who shall mentioned. remain nameless? Oh, <laughs> lead. <laughs> Not only that, he keeps feeding it to your horse yeah. <laughs> to, to befriend it's your horse. So rude. <laughs> and I and for those of you who are listening or watching live or the VOD, um, our next episode will be a food episode. Um, so please eat dinner before the episode. <laughs> Dungeons and dining. There we Dungeons go. Dungeons and dining. Shrimp. Yeah, but I think that's taken. I think that's taken. Somebody. That's somebody else's thing. Gyar shrimp. Someone says gyar gyar shrimp. So let's let's now go to Ning La Ning. Yeah, Steve. Who is your character? Yeah. So Ning is a imperial soldier, uh, part of the Law family, who is very well known in Cha. Uh, they are. Uh, Palisade soldiers, uh, they are loyal to Empress Josha, uh, and they've been loyal to the royal family for many, many generations. Uh, Ning was originally a water ganasi. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> um, but otherwise, Ning not only is an imperial soldier and has an entire like uh, small squadron at her beck and call, uh, she also has a very dark secret, and it's that the Law family uh unbeknownst to the general populace uh tend to act as the royal family's assassins uh they are a specialized group of people uh the shadow sisters some might call who are given tasks 
uh, and are expected to simply silence people who would otherwise be a threat to the royal family. Uh, and Ning plays a very interesting moment in her life right now because she is not yet uh, part of the Shadow Sisters, though she knows that her trials are coming. Uh, right now, she plays in Dungeons and Asians as um, a soldier who's carrying out an investigation that is to be kept secret about that mysterious piece of jade that fell from the heavens and seems to be turning everything it touches into solid jade. And this is uh, this is bad PR. This is a bad look for the Empress. This is a bad look for the Empress. Um, from like a very Chinese perspective, it's a um, it's a sign that the will of the sky, analogous to the historical mandate of heaven, is weakening, and she can lose face and lose the power that she has over the people. And so while this torrent of jade is cur- slowly. I guess maybe not a torrent, this slow ripple of jade is uh, turning everything in its path to this heavenly stone in a cleansing act. Our three heroes are traveling across the southern floodplain, the empire of Shah, the kingdom of mist, to find four important flowers called the Four Nobles. And in our last episode, you obtained one of them, the Golden Chrysanthemum, which we can now kind of go to our sort of our quest game, uh, which actually gifted Dong Fong with something really cool. With something which in the game unfortunate. Which is super <laughs> unfortunate because you are a cooked shrimp now. Oh, I think is what you said. I, uh, yeah, it's the gift of the Vermilion Bird, um, and we're gonna kind of work 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 that into quest, um, and we'll. This will involve a lot of playtesting, a lot of you know, research and development. But those are our characters. This is our quest. And let's kind of start with character creation. Um, character creation is super, super straightforward. You're going to, I mean, if, you're, if you have the PDF or if you're lucky and you live in the United States of America and you can get a copy of the book, um, you can... Uh, the character sheet is literally like a couple of like it's literally like what's it, ad, ad libs? What what are they called? It's like it's like Mad Libs. Mad Libs. Yeah, yeah. What? And you're literally just filling out a thing on your character sheet. Yeah, oh, it's, it's fill, like, fill yeah, in the blanks. A, yeah, it's a fillable form. <laughs> it's a fillable form. No, it's like Sorry. Mad Libs. It's like hey, it's Mad Libs. Give, give me give me one noun, one role, and one dream, and you have a character. Yeah, and and I think that's what's interesting. So you have you know your character bio which literally doesn't ask you anything about what your race is, but it's who are you? What do you believe in? Right? It's kind of like the questionnaires that are in Powered by the Apocalypse games. Um, They help frame your character. What do you do? Uh, Like, what are your flaws? What are your strengths? What is your goal? Um, Agatha, I'm going to drop two questions on you. Okay. And you don't have to answer them now. These are questions that I want us to be able to think about long term. Okay. And the first one is, what has Dongfang lost to time? Ooh. What a great so, question. I try to think more like you, Agatha. <laughs> what has you you always ask these really thoughtful questions. Oh thanks. Um so like the other night when I was I was like going to bed and I was like, oh wait. And I, and I wrote these down. Um ooh, there we go. Um 
So what has Dongfang lost to time? Mm. The second question is, if Dongfang is immortal in perhaps the enlightened sense or perhaps the, the literal sense, um, what is Dongfang clinging to as time progresses? Wow. What a dramatic so again, manager. What ha- what, so what have you lost and what are you losing? Yeah, that's great. So that that's what I want you, you to think about. Yeah. Um, Steve, I had another thing that I wanted you to think about. Okay. And it's, who's your mother? It's who is Ning's mother? Now, in the lore, because we have our show Bible, mm-hmm. um, we know that your mother is Shunla, who is the night queen. And she is like the, the wife of Yunla, who is the minister of war. Your father is very politically powerful. Mm-hmm. So in order to think about the idea that we, you were originally a water ganassi in a land where generally people are human or human looking, why, why do we have somebody who looks like a water ganassi? Whether or not you're a water ganassi or not, we could change that. Um, but one of the things that I want you to think about is, well, is, and this is my question to you, is Ning's ancestry rooted in the southern floodplain? Okay. Um, so this is kind of like, I want us to think about your parents. Are your parents uh, both from this region? Or perhaps is your mother or your father, yeah, because I think we've established that your father is human. So is your mother from Song, the land of rivers, which we're going to introduce next Saturday on a special one shot, Mm. the Walid origin story. Now, this is entirely up to you, but I wanted to kind of frame how we're going to transition Ning's character from D&D over to Quest around that question. What is Ning's ancestry in the narrative sense, and how is that tied to the politics of the Kingdom of the Mist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you need an answer right now, or do I have no, to? Like, no, 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 okay. no. no. <laughs> just like, Great. just like the, just like the question that I gave to Agatha. Um, that is my question to you. Okay. Okay. Also, I realized that I wrote down questions for Agatha, but I didn't write down questions for anybody else. Oh. Um, we can so tell who's my... the favorite now. Right. Yeah. It's obviously the shrimp. Obviously. Um, <laughs> my favorite too. <laughs> well, well, you, you, sl- you slipped right into you. that role. Yeah. Well, it is my, my question uh, for you. Is I didn't study for already... this test. Nope, too bad. <laughs> um, my question to you is something that we've talked about before. Um, but I want to ask you if um, Walid is running from something. And if Walid is, well, we, we've talked about your, your heritage in Daesh. We've talked about how you were a stowaway and our new story that we're going to do next Saturday is going to involve a young Walid yep. uh, and a group of, we're calling it, I think we're calling it bullshit and banditry is what we're going to call the one shot. <laughs> um, that Walid has a, Walid didn't come straight to Shia mm-hmm. from Daesh. So what is Walid keeping from his travels, from his homeland? So is Walid clinging to anything literal, like mm-hmm. an object? 
Is it, you know, a scrap of a flag? Is it some sort of amulet? Is it a weapon? Or is it perhaps something more sentimental, like a pair of shoes that he has outgrown, mm-hmm. but kind of carried him away from his homeland? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I so have yeah, my answers. those are the three questions. Can I answer? Oh. Shit, yeah, okay. Uh, are you not ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Because I have the OneNote open. Oh my god. <laughs> Dale, you said you weren't Go going to talk about it. Okay, all right. Wait, oh, wait you said you would. Okay, it's okay. Let's go. What's like, your answer? It's like the tide. It's just like it just comes in every episode. No, I don't like that imagery. That means that it'll keep coming back. Okay. I mean, you can, you can live in your fantasy. Sorry. Let's hear, let's hear it. Let's hear these. <clears throat> oh, whoops. I just bumped into the mic. Uh, what okay. has Dongfeng lost to time? And I think what Dongfeng has lost are basically their memories. In addition to the stuff that's sealed away, it's the, the memories that make a person, if you will, a person. So, like, the things that, like, form like really inform the kind of decisions you'll make in the future those frames or references are constantly slipping away um, and he can't hold on to all of it That's a sh- and one thing i think we, we we also should go over is what are the pronouns of all of our characters if they do not match our pronouns that are on screen that's true daniel what are your pronouns uh- <laughs> He, him, Mike. I'm, I'm playing Daniel, the dramatic manager. Daniel is from the land of Toronto. Oh, the exotic um, land of Toronto. Toronto. To- Toronto, as the locals say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the locals my, my say Toronto. 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 My, uh, my pronouns are he, him. Let's start with Amar. Uh, we'll go over your pronouns and then your character's pronouns. Yes. Since we're going to be live streaming now. Yep. Uh, so, so my pronouns are he, him. Uh, my character's pronouns are also he, him. Let's go with Agatha. My pronouns are she, her, and my character's pronouns are they, them. And then Steve? My pronouns are he, him, but Ning's are she, hers. Okay. So I just wanted to put that out there as a frame of reference. So, so we have, uh, Agatha, you said, what have you lost time? Your memories that make you a person. Or what you've lost. Yeah, they that form a personality, okay. or that so, I, you can identify with your own mm, identity. I like it. There we go. Yeah, I like it. So, uh, what I, are you clinging on to then? Uh, what Dongfeng clings on to is fulfilling promises and or owed debts. Mm-mm. So, I think Dongfeng. I don't think they do this consciously, but it is a way to always anchor yourself in the world and with the people around you. Is to owe people. Mm, do things. you think that? Do you think that Dong Fang gets in trouble in order to make sure that there are these debts and promises so that they are still connected mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. in their own way? Since they don't, you know, know how to make decisions in a way they think is the correct way? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Now, uh, Amar and Steve, though, you do not have to have answers for those questions. Um, I I would like some input on my questions here, if that's okay. Um, because you mentioned the Southern floodplains, and we haven't really focused that on that in our stream. So when you say the th- Southern floodplains, 
I have a picture in my head, but could you maybe give me context so I make sure that like I'm on the same same page as you? Yeah, I can. <laughs> um, Great. So, um, <laughs> if you go to our shared collaborative space. Oh my god! <laughs> hey, I don't say it. If you go to our shared collaborative space, it's the one place CEO, where we keep all our notes. It's the one place where we keep all of our notes. Oh a single note. Um, oh the, it's, don't, what, don't encourage him? Come on. <laughs> and, and you go to, um, you go to show Bible. You yep. scroll down and you go to locations. I see it. Under geography is the Southern floodplain. So this is something that I've been kind of working on in the open for you folks to see. Um, the Southern floodplain is analogous to China. Um, our game, in terms of aesthetics, religion, and everything like that, is all inspired by the Han Dynasty. Mm-hmm. But the Han Dynasty, the end of the Han Dynasty, before the Three Kingdoms era. We may find ourselves in the future, by episode 50, in a time of total war. Um, but right now, we're at a time of great political intrigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've kind of laid out a six-part history that starts with something called the Great Migration. And the Great Migration... Uh, is very similar to the Chinese Neolithic, which is what I did my doctoral studies on. Um, It talks about an agricultural people from a land called the Summer Peninsula who found themselves divided and migrated to two distinct regions. The Summer Floodplain, which turned into the homeland of the Xia people, the Empire of the Mist. And of course, the nearby Northern Plateau, which became the home of um, Shuvu, the Kingdom of Birds, which are right now... Um, one of the main antagonists from the shop perspective. Uh, then, of course, we have like the history about the Mist Lords, um, which is essentially the spring and autumn period in China's history. And this is all for our listeners and our viewers to kind of understand where we're coming from and understand that like history is very nuanced. And while we kind of say, oh, yes, this is China, or this is analogous to Japan, like we saw with Oriental Adventures, they're... We can't treat these cultures, these nations, these civilizations as monoliths. And so what I've been trying to do is slowly unveil a history of our region um, as is inspired by the passing of time in the real life China. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Great Migration, number one, is based on the Neolithic um, slash the rise of the Mist Lords is based on the Bronze Age, specifically the spring and autumn period, um, the Zhou Dynasty. The War of the Sands and Xunxia's campaign against the Oasis Confederacy is also based on the, um, the Bronze Age. But I kind of took a step back from the Zhou Dynasty and went back in time a couple hundred years and made it similar to the Shang Dynasty. Uh, because the Shang Dynasty is very much uh, a popular topic in Xunxia media. Uh, Xianxia media, right, Agatha? Yeah, That's, Xianxia, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there are other periods, but right now it's the Han Dynasty. I didn't know that that um, was the dynasty that is popular with Xianxia. Is it the clothes? There's a really, there's a really popular, um, it's the clothes, but it's also the fact that the religion there was very distinct from oh. what is understood as Chinese religion. There's a really popular manhua called um, Feng Shanji, and it's about the Shang Dynasty. Oh, oh, I see. It's a time in China's history when there was a lot of uh, mysticism, ancestor worship. Um, people drank a lot of wine. 
Uh, nice. At least that's what the records tell. Yeah. Um, but there were tales of great floods and sorcerers, yeah. magic swords, yeah. things like that. You, yeah. But you can't trust those records. Everybody was drunk. You can't trust those records. Well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> we could talk about Chinese history and archaeology for a whole podcast. We can talk about Feng Shenzhuan for <laughs> full. We could we could keep going, right? Um, but like Shinxia, the first empress of Xia, is supposed to be based on Yu the Great. Okay. okay. Who stopped the floods. <sighs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, why you like, named I've, them all I've, the I've, same. Like, yes. Doshun, yeah. So I, I've taken like extreme liberties, but I've tried to make sure that everything is very Chinese. I haven't taken... Like, especially in these time periods, there wasn't a lot of interaction with places like Japan. So you're not going to see katanas. You're not going to see this sort of stuff. But over time, we will see cultural exchange, especially when it comes to religion. And that's why um, Daesh is going to be important because it's our analog to South Asia. What about honor? Sorry, no, don't answer that. What about <laughs> honor? <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do, people I do. have honor, but we don't measure it. I, I am, I am, I am zoning in on an answer here. But Daniel, I need some input here. Okay, go. For Here's it. the story I want to tell for Ning. I feel like Ning. I want her to come from a, a family that generally, because they're a lot in life, because of how they 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 rolled on the where you're born table, uh, mm -hmm. just not great. Uh, but I think there's an there's a way for someone to like break out of that mold and really open up their opportunities by going to uh, Chang'ang and like go to school and like really raise the ranks. Okay. And I would like Ning to actually come from the southern floodplains from a mother who really struggled. And maybe she wasn't a great mother, and maybe her father wasn't great either. Um, but I would like Ning okay. to have come from this place where it is best for her career to basically forget where she came from. Oh. I love that. Can I just That's say awesome. this is so different than the standard D and D? What's your backstory? I don't know. I like going around and, and murder hoping. Um, like, I don't know. My background is I'm a soldier. I have uh, a badge of rank. I have 25 gold pieces. <laughs> I prepare. I'm proficient in vehicles. <laughs> I, I have, I have no ties that bind. That's it. <laughs> I have yeah, questions. Ag Agatha, I have yes. tensions. I feel like your questions will help me like release some of that. But go ahead. So my question is, uh, so, like, what what are geographical reputations, and like, and do we have like a class stratification going on? And, hmm. and that's for us to determine, right? And I mean, and once again, this is something that like D and D really conditions players to think about. It's like. The GM is the arbiter of the rules, and the GM is the creator of the world, and the GM inhabits the world around them. I mean, it's all the players are in this world together, and it's our job to tell this story together. And like, I could just like stay up late and just type into our our digital notebook, but ultimately, this is our story. And if I say something that we as a group don't like or doesn't fit within your your ideas, your ideas come first, right? So where I pitched Steve as like, Steve, is your character's mother from a different land? And Steve's like, nah. And I'm like, cool. Steve's idea is the right idea. Yeah, so Steve. There shouldn't be any ego here. Yeah. So Steve, what do you think? What do I think about what? Sorry, there's a lot of ideas there. My question is, uh, like, I think, are there class stratifications yeah. or is it more like where you come from probably will determine... 
Yeah. Like Steve, you since you said that, mm-hmm. and this is for our audience, this is for the people listening or watching. That's gonna be weird. We have to say listening and watching now. Ooh. Um since Steve, you said that you ca- came from a poor, struggling family and that it's best for your career or Ming's career to forget her past. No, no, yeah. that's that's you... Ning's mom, right? No, that's Ning. That's Ning? I thought that's what Ning's So so Ning's biological mother yeah. is from the Southern Foot Plains. That's what yes. I'd like to write into the fiction. Okay. And as as such, uh, it's actually just better for her career to just ignore her heritage as being grown up in the Southern Foot Plains as a child. Yeah. Cool. But, but um, isn't the so city I, I in think, the Southern Foot Plains? Yeah, the Southern Flood Plain is where Sha is. That's where the capital is. That's where the people live. Okay. Maybe, maybe okay, in my head, I had the Southern Flood as like a like farmland that just like so just here's like something else the that, here's something else that people think about when they think about fantasy rpgs like D D. Mm-hmm. there there are cultures there are political entities but there are also you know political regions right so one of the things that we should think about is yes the southern floodplain is a geographic region and currently and I say this right now, currently, the uh, dominant political faction of the southern, southern floodplain, which is supposed to be southern China, okay, um, the people here call themselves the Xia, and because they come from the Summer Peninsula. Um, and their kingdom is that of the Mist, which Zhou Xia is the empress of. So there are layers to it. So you can be. I, I'm just clarifying where in the southern floodplains you're from. Did, so your family did not grow up. In so so the Steve, capital. I think we should ask. Yeah. Do you want your character to be from this region where the Xia people are, or do you want your character and your character's history to be outside of the political elite of this region? I I would like Ning's story to talk about almost like her diaspora within Sha. Okay, cool. So this is a Ming story is that of rising through the ranks and transcending different class barriers for you. Yes. So that might mean that like her biological mother actually isn't from the Southern floodplains, but like maybe like a, an offshoot or just like a place that's really isn't recognized. Totally. Yeah. Um, mother I, from. I'm going to say. So unknown. is your family then not the major like branch of this? Uh, what did you call them? The assassin sisters? So no, biologically, well, I, oh, biologically, she would be from like a, a more simple like farming type of family that yeah. are known for, you know, you know, working for the sweat of their brow. Okay. But once Ning gets to Chang'ang and like rises the ranks of school and becomes recognized, she is actually adopted and brought into the La family. <gasps> oh. And that's probably like where you like, I had it in my head, but never actually spoke it aloud. But I think Ning herself, everything about her is prescribed when she like reaches a certain like career path. She's recognized and they're like, excellent. You have this opportunity, but in order to take this opportunity, you have to play by the rules. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. That's I love the, this. That's the story I want to play. So Ning is adopted. This is our this is our session zero redux that's amazing. revelation. 
That's really cool. Uh, and what I really like about that is, yeah, just the effectiveness of uh, political actors goes way down if you just use hereditary uh, mechanisms, right? So whatever, the Romans tried for a little while this idea of philosopher kings, right? They wouldn't actually, the, the child of the emperor would not take over. It would be the, like, whatever, the the like very well trained philosopher that would take over. I mean, this only worked mostly in theory, but I really like that that the effectiveness of the law clan is on regular adoption of the best and the brightest that they can pick up from anywhere in the. Is thing. that what it is, Steve? Is that what you say, Steve? Because oh, that's also super dope, Amar. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, I don't, actually, know, I don't want to impose on your. Yeah. So I hadn't thought too much about it, but Amar, I love that idea. So I would like the law family to like Ning's sisters. Um, they might not be by blood, but they are absolutely by um, training their, their culture, yeah. basically. Yeah, their culture. Okay. Yeah, that so is really So their culture binds them. Their culture that binds them, their duty binds them. Yeah. But not their blood. And also on a political scale, that, that could be very... Uh, that's That could be a way to show how harmless you are politically to the ruler. Because if this is an actual society that does care about like spreading your blood or you know like staying mm-hmm. actual yeah. bloodlines, then you could be like, well, none of us are really passing it on, like our positions of power into our children, uh, mm-hmm. our literal children. Um, and then this also comes into like what happened to what happens to the the, the actual children that they bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think these are all really questions that will be answered yeah, as we this. as we progress. Like, we don't have to have the answers now. Yeah. I mean, a part of this game and people who tune in know that, like, we're not here to be like, okay, I'm going to move 30 feet. I'm going to <laughs> then use this attack. <laughs> do I need to use a maneuver to arm myself? <laughs> and then I'm going to use my bonus action to do this. We're not going to, like, we're, the way we play is, like, we're talking. Mm-hmm. We're trying to tell a story together. But we're trying to tell a story where everyone at the table has a say. Actually, Agatha, you said something, and I, 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 I think it's worth repeating. Like you mentioned, like you have have to have secret ties. But I feel like Amar and Agatha, your characters have tons of secret ties. It just so happens that Ning's secret ties are geographically convenient at this moment in time. But like Dongfang has like a long history of like the Sky Court or the River Court. I forget. Uh, both. Uh, both. <laughs> okay, so many, many, many secret ties, which you may or may not even be aware of. But I think that's really, really cool. Nah, and they Amar... don't feel as personal. Hey, we need to be better. Come on, Mark. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, can, we'll figure so it out. Call them, call them entanglements. 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 Like oh, yeah. Uh, um, Just before we leave off of this, uh, Agatha, what you're talking about there is more or less, I think, what happened between the Janissaries and the Ottomans uh, that were really? in power. I think so. Uh, I'm sure uh, Daniel will either correct me or. I nope. That's not my region of expertise. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, technically, technically, it should because I work there. But <laughs> but I, 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 I worked at I worked at the Iron Age in Jordan. That that's what I did there. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> You're like a not crappy Indiana Jones. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> like a not just deeply problematic, terrible Indiana Jones. It's, it's He's great. such a bad archaeologist. Also that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So I, if I recall correctly, and I hope I'm, there's somebody here who can correct me on this, but I was reading up on Ottoman history a little while ago. Um, the the Janissaries uh, were, and this is obviously a deeply barbaric and like 
terrible institution. Barbaric isn't the right word, but it's a terrible institution. Uh, where they would take uh, children uh, that were almost entirely Christian. And, you know, it was a Muslim-dominated thing. But they would take ch- Christian children. Um, they would take them very far. They would always post them very far away from... Um, where they grew up, just so that they would not have any ties or allegiances at that time. Oh my gosh, uh, this that is area. like residential schools. Uh, it's not good. It's not good. But it's not good. Um, it, uh, and then they would raise them as Janissaries. And now, this is where things get a little tricky. There were some reports that that you know they often went to very poor areas and exploited them. But sometimes the parents were like, "Okay, you're probably going to have a better life as a Janissary." than you will growing up in this like dirt village. But again, that is a terrible, you know, that causes a lot of problems too. But anyway, they, so, but then they would, these, this, this class would be raised. They weren't allowed to get married. They weren't allowed to have kids. And, but this class would be raised that was loyal only to the uh, Pasha, the, the uh, emperor at the time, um, essentially. And so that, that created a surprisingly stable um, sort of close, uh, troop thing that lasted for centuries as a as an institution. Wow. So that's Ooh. why I was saying that we, your point about the political power is like, well, that actually I think has been shown to work. Uh, hmm. And I'm putting that in air quotes in only the sense of stability. Um, and generally speaking, they you know they didn't try to accumulate their own power. They eventually got a lot of power, hmm. but they didn't try to accumulate sort of you know they didn't try to become the Shah or anything like that. So anyway, yeah, a little history lesson I, for everybody. From that's so cool. It lines up really well with like mm-hmm. Ning's adoptive family, where like her father is the minister of war, who is also quite trusted in the court. And it's probably a lot to do with the fact that, you know, Yun probably doesn't have a lot of maybe any biological children at this moment in time. And like that is a quite a quite a performance of your like fealty. Yeah, it is. Mm. You should we should all write this down. Um Where should we write uh, it, Daniel? You can go to show Bible, then you can go to the <laughs> subsection characters, then go to PCs. Great. He, he didn't say the O word. I did. did not say the word. I think in this regard, Amar is much worse than Daniel. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So I know people are tuning in for Quest. So we oh, should sorry. we should go to Quest. Let's move to Quest. Yes. Because um, we could just talk for hours about this. Um, so we are using a tool... Um, it's just a, it's a free tool online. It's not a tool for Quest, but it's called uh, Notion.so. So if anybody wants to try it out, uh, Notion.so is essentially a tool for creating virtual workspaces. And what I've done within Notion is I've created um, character sheets for Quest. Um, and so what I've actually done is we each have our own sections. We have all of our things. So we have Dong Fong's uh, sort of Mad Libs. We have Dong Fong's uh, character stats, so the number of hit points you have, your adventure points, and then we have your inventory and abilities. Um, what we've done a little bit differently for those of you who are watching is that we've kind of given our characters a few levels, as you would say, in quest you have 10 hit points and it never goes above 10. So in many ways, I like Quest because it feels lethal, like an OSR game. (laughs) Um, But the one thing I love um, about how lethal is, is is that it's balanced out by the ability system. And the ability system lets you be anime as fuck. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I like. Um, so what we've done is we've picked essentially what our roles are. So a character in quest has a certain number of hit points, certain number of adventure points. Hit points, you know, your hardiness and everything like that. Um, adventure points are basically your currency that you can use to invoke your abilities. Okay. Now, you also have something called a role. Now, your role is analogous to your class. In Quest, they give you a bunch of different options. They could say, you know, stick with one role or use two. But I think for us, since we're creating characters that don't necessarily fit within what Quest has set out in roles, we've kind of allowed our characters to take abilities from any role we see fit. And of course, make our own. Um, Quest does combat a little bit differently as well. It's fluid and reflexive, like a game like Dungeon World, but damage is flat. So if you're using a standard weapon, you're doing two damage. Uh, if you're using your fists, you're dealing uh, you're dealing one damage. Um, with your, um, unless you're like Walid, who can do two damage with with his hands, with his elbows, with his shins, with his knees. Solid. Um, My body is a weapon. Solid. I, I imagine that Walid would practice like a martial art similar to like Lethway or something like that from Myanmar. Mm, yeah, well, so uh, this will come up at some point, but I was thinking um, there's sort of an early martial art in India called Shastra Vidya. Um, I am dropping it now that I was thinking that my character might sort of incorporate some of that or find or rediscover uh, that, uh, that martial art as well. That's very cool. I, I would love... I know I'm putting like undue pressure on you, but if you're comfortable with it, I would love to see like a hybrid of what Daniel has like written as far as like the the 8 or 16, I forget the number, <laughs> of weapons with kind of Amaro, like what you're saying here. And I, I do like Quest a lot because I feel like if those were two separate paths or... Uh, adventure pads i think they're called mm-hmm. I, I have to check yeah learning learning like they're so if, here's the here's the cool thing you could do you can click on these and they're actually you i put all the information that they're called learning paths you got and it. you get them in order so like walid could mechanically be on both learning paths which oh, also yes. when you hear it it sounds like very narrative as well yep that is solid uh, how do I represent that in Notion, or are you writing this down? Daniel? So wait, so what are we? Sorry, I just missed it. I'm getting. I got a. I got a text. Whoops. <laughs> Producer no Daniel. Uh, I, I think what Steve was saying is maybe we can have two. I can be on two uh, learning paths uh, to represent my unarmed combat and also my um, like armed combat. Is that right, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Especially if they're from like two different cultures. Yeah. Mm, that, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So, so maybe I'll give you an example because um, what I've done for Ning, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm just like showing too much here, but when I was going through Ning's abilities, uh, Ning has several abilities from the spy role in Quest. I felt spy was like very, uh, very attuned to like what Ning was doing, but it wasn't 100% to what I wanted. So Ning has some abilities from the spy role, such as sneak attack and... Uh, Persona and Death Hand, which we need to rework a little bit, I think, maybe. Yeah, we need to rework that. But these are all things that, like, spies generally can do. 
Um, but then I've all, Daniel and I have also created the Yosha uh, path. Ah, so yeah. she also has from that path the signature weapon. She has her dual identity. She has her uh, sure strike. Uh, things that we actually developed in our D and D sessions uh, and put a lot of effort in. That put a lot of effort in. Uh, that would probably go through like many many iterations just to like balance it out. But what I like about Quest is that I can take the idea of sure strike, which was generally my idea of rolling a whole bunch of dice, and if it works out in your favor, you get an anime kill. And I was like. That's really, really cool, but Quest allowed me to basically just kind of write that in, mostly verbatim what I just said, and Daniel and I can just like figure it out at the table when it happens. Yeah, and and the cool thing about designing for Quest is that we're like, okay, one of the things we need to consider is when are we spending adventure points, mm-hmm. or when are we just rolling the dice? And if we find that something's significant enough to, say roll or to say maybe spend adventure points because we think it's impactful in the narrative um we could turn to one of our abilities so for those of you who are you know listening or watching the yosha is our errant knight our knight errant our vagabond and so there are many aspects of that in ming's character that we'd like to explore Uh, and then of course you have a signature weapon which was from the narrative it was given to you Mm-hmm. by Kiana's character, the Empress Josha, she gave you these two beautiful glass vials and contained within them is living water, which you can use to um, essentially form swords of ice or water whips or anything that you desire. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty excited. It's a good session. That's all I'm going to say. This is a good so session. Good. <laughs> This is a really good session. I will have Kiana on again, but I'd also like to have other members of our community on. Yes. Ultimately, down the down the line, I would love to have Walid's past catch up with him. Be it people from Daesh coming, looking for a lost boy who has grown into a man. <gasps> and maybe we'll have guests on. I would love to have, you know who I'd love to have on? I'd love to have Issa on, oh, yeah. Evil Clever Dog, from our al stream, who I think could play somebody from Walid's past. Mm-hmm. I think Walid's. I think Walid as a bandit has pissed off a ton of people, meaning we could have a ton of cool guests. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Entanglements all the way. Yeah. Entanglements. <laughs> right. And I know we have to have Kiana on more so we could do more stuff with the Empress and Steve. Yes. Dong Fog's Dong Fog stories. Like we could bring in the gods. Yeah. Which, which I think is going to be dope. Um, so we're always looking for, for people who can fill these roles. Yes, so if you want to play a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, turtle. It's good. There's going to be a turtle. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. And of course, we have to figure out how to bring back Jade. But Jade. There, are some tech, there are some technical aspects of it that we have to figure out. Um, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to bring in people from all over the world to represent their cultures mm-hmm. in our world. So, which I think is something we're trying to do. Yes. So maybe to sum it all up, Dungeons and Diasians is the friends we made along the way. Oh my gosh, tomorrow. <laughs> 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 I hate this. Uh, we should have a cheese meter <laughs> just yeah. in the corner here. <laughs> yep. I got to go to my DM notes section and then write Agatha wants a turtle. Yes. Nice. Entanglement with a divine. Oh, 
Mm, I got something already planned. <laughs> that finger <laughs> waving all around. Great. Well, I mean, you can you can probably already figure out what it is because you have the gift of the vermilion bird. <sighs> Right. right. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> yay. You were the one. You you grabbed. Listen, you grabbed I it. didn't know that by touching it, it was gonna fall on the ground and shatter. <laughs> you grabbed it and then it. burned me. Um, I wanted my. I wanted to give it to my boss straight up. Straight up, I wanted to grab this glowing golden chrysanthemum from the body of a shriveled corpse that we found inside a monstrous dog and give it to my boss. To be fair, we, we we did find out that in previously, Dung Feng was able to touch a magical object without being harmed by it. So That's it true. did make a lot of sense for you to do it. It's an unexpected uh It's true. Side so Dung Feng will have to deal with this gift that you've received. Not, 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 we don't want... Sometimes we get gifts that we don't want, but we have to hold on to them. What is this, a life lesson? Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> apparently <laughs> I Dungeons got and- lemons and have to make lemonade. <laughs> Dungeons and Asians was the life lessons we made along the Stop way. it! Stop. <laughs> oh, God. See, this is when I have my... I'm going to have a mug, and it's just going to say Aya on it. Oh, my God. Every single time we do something like that. Um, that's coming. Uh, so, we've we've kind of talked about how we've made La Ning. Like, Steve, do you want to read what you wrote for your, like introduction? Because I think it's really great. Yeah. So that's one of the things I really about Quest, because... I think actually to go back, Amar and Agatha, we're talking about like the accessibility, like beginners and what have you. Uh, I don't take that lens on Quest. I think Quest is really good for streamers. And the reason, because I'm a streamer now. (laughs) But no, no, the the reason I say that is because the character sheet reads just like a nice like intro. Like if you were to start any kind of show or any kind of like podcast or things like that, but just reading out your character sheet, you could, and it would be engaging and give you give the audience like enough information mm-hmm. to like kind of dive in. That's true, and that's kind of what I liked about it. Uh, so I'm just gonna read my sheet like verbatim, and yeah, and that's what it dope. is. So hello, my name is Laning Sheher. I am 24 years old and I stand at five foot five tall. I'm the party's Yosha. When people see me, they first notice my emerald banner uniform, a symbol of my rank and pedigree that demands the respect of the Shah people of the Southern Floodplain. And my tightly wound energy as I am in constantly in a state of cat-like readiness. I wear twin ja, uh, ornate leather armor, and move with graceful purpose. I'm from Chang'ang, the capital of Sha, where my people are known for housing, serving, and protecting the Empress Josha. I believe in duty, but my passionate side can get in my way. I dream of making my parents proud. That's that Asian character right there. <laughs> Solid. Making my parents. <laughs> I want. I just want to. I just want to make them proud. That's great. Yeah. So that's like that's that's that's, that's basically the whole sheet, right? The rest is like inventory yeah. and abilities. But like right, that right there, if there was like nothing else, you could like join a LARP with that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, like, what I okay, a couple of things that I really love. Um, a, you're right. It's totally built for streaming. But B, would you read through Quest? There's a section on safety tools. And built into the character sheet, it tells you to put what your character's pronouns are. That's true. Mm-hmm. That is true. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. But what I also think is that is really cool is that, like, you know, on the on the note of this being great for streaming, is that, hey, look, we have a system that 
won't have us searching through our character sheet. Where's how much do I have in perception? What is right. do, what are my spells? It's like I have these abilities. Spend AP. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Or like this happens because we are competent characters. Let's roll the dice only when we think there might be some risk involved. But if we look to your abilities, like I don't know, feather hook. A magical grappling hook that gently glides itself upward like a balloon until it reaches and attaches to a ledge. You can tie any length of rope to the hook. That's narratively interesting, and we can change it to be whatever we want. Is it literally you holding out your vial, Josha's edge, your sword, and that living water in there turns into a cloud and rises up? Damn. Right? It could be that. Or it could be throwing up a water whip. Right? But you don't have to roll to see if you fail to do that. It happens. But your decision to use this ability is based on your adventure points, which makes you think and act with purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They seem really to, like. Yeah, they seem similar to fate points as well. Yeah, yes. that's what they reminded me of. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's, it's got some great things. Um, I wrote one for one of our NPCs. <laughs> and I don't know if you took a look at this, Amar. Oh. Um, but I wrote one for Schwung. So we currently have a traveling NPC who is uh, one of Walid's entanglements. <laughs> and this character initially... Yes, it's an entanglement. <laughs> um, um, she was originally like a scholar in the Grand Library and demonstrated, not even proved herself, demonstrated that, you know, she could do other things. She's awesome. She's badass. She's one of she my favorites. Badass. Also, okay, I just so, realized she's older than me. How old is your character? I was. We're gonna find out. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, sorry. We're gonna find sorry, out. Sorry. We're gonna find out. <laughs> Hashtag spoiler alert. Spoilies. <laughs> um, you have to. Okay. You have to tune in next Saturday uh, to find out. But that's so, a prequel. Not this Saturday on the twenty fifth, right? Twenty fifth. Yes. Yep. This Saturday, we're gonna hear your voice and see your face when you talk about Al-Kadim. Um, so our character, our NPC, kind of our, we could say it's like the companion to the doctor. This is how I help insert uh, lore into the world because she's a character that you can talk to. Uh, hello, my name is Shuang, she, her. I am 23 years old and stand five foot six inches tall. I'm the party, party's scholar. Uh, that's kind of a role that I'd like to kind of think about when we move forward. When people see me, they first notice my calm demeanor and curiosity about the world around me. I wear functional scholarly clothing issued by the Empire and move with a spring in my step. I'm from Xia. (laughs) I'm from Xia, where my people are known for the love of arts and their beautiful homeland. I believe in knowledge, but my naive side can get in my way. I dream of one day running the great library of Xia like Master Panyan but would like to open its doors to everyone in the kingdom and those beyond the southern floodplain. So cool. So that's what I want for Shuang. We also established that down the line, um, we've established that Penyan is, in episode six, we established that Penyan is the name of the grand librarian who wrote the history and created the history of this kingdom, this empire. But that Penyan was just the name. I wrote in our notebook that Penyan and the Empress, the first Empress, they said that the Penyan to honor her 
would be the only be the only author of the great history so that anyone who would ever put brush to paper would have to commit to changing their name to Penyan to honor this original scholar. So maybe down the line, Shuang becomes Penyan or takes on the title of Penyan. That's really cool. That's so cool. That's one I wrote at like 2 a.m. There's a lot of these like um, passing down of positions. It's very bureaucratic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like China, historically. It's true. Like, there are even myths about... There are mythical, legendary bureaucrats as well. John Kui, the executioner, the, the exorcist. Remember the ghost, the yeah. shepherd of ghosts? Yeah. He, his story was really sad, though. It's super sad. Because he, like... <laughs> do you want to tell yeah, it? Yeah, so in... Uh, I don't know when this started, but in China, they had standardized exams for if you take it, then you can prove your knowledge uh, of, like, the four books and five anyway of you prove that you are educated enough to become a government official and this is a thing that happened and like and usually you would get chosen there would be the first place and then there's also um there's also later on you could, there's also a special position that gets chosen and they're usually good looking but not, maybe not the most um <laughs> not the most informed or the, whatever they wrote was not uh, their essay was not the, the the best. Anyway, so in this story, this myth of Zhongkui, uh, he he won first place. He won Zhuangyuan uh, because his uh, his essay about whatever question, political question, was the best. But then when he um, when he went to the emperor to kind of receive this this honor of being first. The, the emperor saw his face and was like, not an uggo. So, it, and. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love how he went, not an uggo. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what the emperor said. It's true. That's, that's, that's the myth, and, yeah. And Zhonghe was like there and, you know, and I think in the story, he was supposed to be very frightening in the way that he looks. Like, if you see the illustrations, he actually looks fine, but I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so then I think he, this is just like a source of um, uh, shame for him personally. So in the story, he was so upset that this is the thing that happens when he's coming here, supposedly being recognized for his brilliance he uh he commits suicide by like uh, a typical way that people committed suicide is to uh bash your head against a pillar because of course you can't bring a weapon into the court so anyway so he did and then the and then daniel would you like to take over for the continuation of no, no go ahead you're telling a great story oh, okay and then um uh one of the the gods that well the god that kind of it it controls the underworld or like it's like king yan yeah uh basically where you go after you die your soul uh heard about this and he said wow that's 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 a shame uh you that your talents have gone to waste and you know what (laughs) there is a use for your face oh no i think this is a different story because zhongkui Anyway, so yeah, so he becomes basically the uh, hellish 
exorcist, a shepherd of ghosts. And I thought, like, Zonkwe became, like, the door god. Yeah, so... He, you, people put pictures of him yeah. on their doors. So if you see, like, those pictures of, like, there's, like, a guy holding some kind of spear um, in a dramatic position on, pe- like, Chinese people's doors, uh, that's that guy. And he is protecting the house uh, from evil spirits, basically. That's cool. Zonkwe. Yeah. So the, the point is that the bureaucracy is built into the mythology and then the, the, the right. literal culture of the time period. Right. And that it's been around for so long, it has become mythologized. Um, that's yeah, in a way. And, it, and it's, it's an example of how, you know, I think many RPGs do a poor job of this in that they don't really think about what the people do. You know, how the people think, what the people speak, and how their belief systems impact their the little the literal artifacts of their existence mm-hmm. their government documents their buildings their roads what they use what they wear right it's 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 cool fascinating um and that's so clearly your background Schwa- in archaeology coming through there too yeah because you, you, se- you spent all your time trying to reverse engineer that process by finding the artifacts you try to figure out oh what were the people like what did they think how did they feel and what were the institutions and stuff did i ever tell you that story about the time i found uh a nine thousand year old figure of a busty lady what what steve steve's like excuse me sorry nine thousand uh, uh is that older than yeah. the fertility from babylon the fertility it's in nine thousand well it was in a site that was technically nine thousand years old but it was from like an upper stratus was probably only hmm, maybe maybe a thousand years old Wow. Still um, really old. Still really old, but essentially we found this. It's on my phone. I'll find the photo and I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, yeah post it on Twitter but too. We were, but we were, yeah. But we were digging uh, at this site um, in, uh, where was the town? I forget. This was in 2017. And I found this figure. Uh, it was made of clay. It was about this big, maybe like an inch and a half. And in my head, I was like, those are boobs. And all the archaeologists around me were just like, oh, yes, some sort of representation of an animal. And they had this long debate. And I was like, those are boobs. <laughs> and I'm like, those are boobs. And they, those are human honestly, boobs. They couldn't settle on what it was, but I, I know what I saw. <laughs> I know what I saw. <laughs> I know what I I spent, I have these, if you go to my Instagram and you scroll all the way down, uh, my Instagram's the same as my Twitter, Daniel H. Kwan. Um, I spent a month, like, three meters underground in this hole in, like, 45-degree heat. Oof. Just, like, digging. It's actually where I wrote Ross Rifles. Very cool. <laughs> uh, I love that this has turned into story time. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, Schwang. Schwang is, has taken on two roles in our, um, in, our, in our quest game. Schwang has the role of doctor and fighter. Oh, yeah. Ben, now, yeah. she's like a scholar, and I, I eventually want to think about scholarly moves as we learn more about the game, or to see if there are other roles that might be better for this. Um, but right now, I have Doctor, so she's got Mend, uh, Relieve, Heal, and Examine the Dead to kind of reflect her understanding of the natural and mythological world. Uh, and then, of course, she is very skilled at combat as we learned in episodes seven mm-hmm. um 
So, but the thing I liked about the fighter is that the fighter's abilities in that role are not all tied to dealing damage and hurting things. They're, they're tied to telling stories, inspiring others around you. Uh, so I picked um, Summon the Blood, where you would recite a poem, uh, Valiant Soliloquy, which would uh, inspire allies, or War Story or Marshall, which would all be tools that we can tell stories set in our world. That's kind of what I've done. Um, we only have a couple of minutes because we, we let time kind of run away run away from us. Let's go through our characters. We're, we're at Dongfeng. Dongfeng, you have quite a few. Do you want to read what you wrote for your introduction? Sure. Hello. Because we have, we have um, Ning, we have Shuang. Let's do Dongfeng. Uh, uh, hello. My name is Dongfeng, they, them. I am around 100 years old and stand... I don't know how tall. Um, Amar, you're a tall person. How tall is very tall? <laughs> uh, you know, like six and a half feet is pretty tall. But like needs to be taller than the average tall seven human. Feet? Se- seven feet? Yeah, seven feet would be very tall. How tall is Seven Yomi? feet would be like, un- like un- unnatural. Uh, I shouldn't I say that. Just... How tall is Yao Ming? Yao Ming is... That's in meters. 35 feet. Thirty-five feet. <laughs> yeah, I need um, a source on that. That, that that's a he's whoa he's seven and a half feet tall. Yeah. No way. I know. I feel extra bad. What he tall? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Oh shit. Yeah, seven six actually. Apparently. Whoa. According to, according to the Grand Scholar Wikipedia. Yeah. Well, I am around a hundred years old and stand yelming tall. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Cool, I'm cool, cool. the party sky soldier. When people see me, they first notice my colorful antennae and me sizing them up. I wear heavy practical armor over my exoskeleton and move with languidness. Uh, I'm from the river. I forgot what the name of the river was. Where my people are known for their political squabbles. I believe in honor, but my distrustful side can get in my way. I dream of figuring out my own personal prophecy. So cool. So Ooh. self-obsessed. So cool. <laughs> hey, I, I love that. So you've got a couple of different rules. I mean, you have Heavenly Gifts, which is an ability we've given you that's not in the rule set of Quest. Yeah. Um, that basically lets you go all anime on Unleash, like a Kamehameha of fire. Yeah. Nice. I mean, it's enough damage within the game to kill any common enemy in one shot. Yeah. OP. I'm just waiting for I mean, everyone only... else's. I want to see theirs. I think you're gonna. Mm, it really depends on who gets one of them. And there's four nobles and only three of you. That's true. Okay, you know who gets so, two? I think. I think Lanning gets two. I think Schwan gets one. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we when we get there. Or a maybe a villain takes one. <laughs> it's not a bridge. <laughs> Um, so we have like, we're working on the abilities for you for Sky Soldier. Um, the one that we have right now is Awakened Knowledge. And I think it's kind of fitting that we haven't figured that one out yet as it's going to work in Quest. Quest, Because Dong Fang hasn't gotten to that point in the story. That's true. Um, 
do you so like I kind of put these together for you just kind of like to get it ready for here because of your keyboard. Um, but do you like what we have here or are there changes that you want to make? Um, I want to get rid of speak with animal. Because, Dope. Because, yeah, just delete that. Yeah, I'll delete <laughs> it. Uh, and then, but I like the other stuff. I like what you chose, like the inspire. You inspire a nearby NPC by reciting a meaningful statement to them. That is great as a narrative flag for me to keep hitting. So that now yeah, I mm-hmm. can just like talk to people and be like, the water falls into the pond once, but the ripples spread out for much longer and then <laughs> pretend that that's something <laughs> oh i understand yeah it's great i, I really great, like yeah. that one and then i love how if you said that the npc would shape their behavior around their you're this ideal and cannot fall victim to their flaw i think that's Indeed. cool okay so um we're gonna have to add some more then since when we get back to the story it will be episode nine uh, you're supposed to start with six abilities and you add one after every session. But I feel like if this is an actual play, we would scale really fast. Um, I don't know how you folks feel about that. But you're going to be hitting like some really powerful abilities real quick. Um, how do we feel about how we're going to scale or any modifications we might make? I'm not interested in becoming powerful. Yeah, I'm cool okay. with taking it real slow. Steve? I have zero opinion of it because I have no idea how powerful powerful actually means in this game. That's true. Powerful means I guess we'll, we'll... you can swing your hand and then some element will flow out and just chop your enemy in but half. Like, but like, is is that what that means? Because like I looked at some of the other like abilities save the legendary ones. Yeah. And like yeah. even at the end of your, your path, the ability is obviously very powerful, but at a great cost to your adventure points. It's yep. like, like one per session, and like that's kind of like your one really powerful thing. Ah. I, I could we be also wrong. Need, so. We also need to figure out how fast and at what rate you gain adventure points. Is right. It, and I think that's something, doesn't yeah. it refresh per session or something? Oh, no. That's not true. No. No. So that's something we, we could discuss off air. We'll figure out how they refresh, and then we'll update the, the audience and how we do that. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of gaining abilities when your character learns something new in the uh, story. So for instance, if Walid met somebody at a village and learned a new form of fighting or learned a magical art, then Walid could potentially gain an ability that way. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. For reference, just to underline this, there are no levels in this game, right? You just, yes. you advance, the character advancement mechanic is you lo- pick up additional abilities. So it's more like mm-hmm. feats, like if it was feet only for leveling up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah except you could call upon them. Um, let's let's actually move into Walid's, because yeah. Walid's is probably the character that you might... I mean, it has a lot of really fleshed out custom stuff that I put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Walid, you're playing the martial artist, monk, or whatever. We've kind of talked over, and I know you haven't filled out that section yet, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you literally just saw this today. Um, but for you, I picked fighter and spy to start out of the core roles. Yep. Uh, because I really liked strap. Yep. Because I was like, this is this is Walid. 
Yep. So strap uh, for reference is uh, unless I'm being actively searched by another creature, I can conceal up to two weapons in my clothing without being noticed. Yeah, and I figured like I was like, well, well, Lead's probably like hiding snacks and weapons totally. and all sorts of things. Um, and then I added two from our martial artist role, mm -hmm. um, from a learning path that I'm calling Iron Body. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's this like body conditioning hard style. Um, so I've given you two. Uh, one is called Iron Soul. So you could basically, uh, in the narrative, align your spirit and your form and your breathing to strengthen your body to regain hit points. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that that moment in like Wuxia film when the character is wounded and they kind of like steal themselves for the fight to continue mm -hmm. and they're reinvigorated. Um, and then give you Iron Skin, which... Uh, depending on how much AP you spend, will allow you to essentially ignore damage. Solid. Uh, giving Waleed the ability to maybe stand in the way and protect somebody. So that's kind of how you've been playing the character. Yep. Uh, Waleed is kind of the bruiser. Um, uh, Ning is 100% a very like balanced character. You have weapons, uh, but you have very powerful social abilities. I'm very excited to kind of see how they work into how you play Ning Steve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially when you try to use your connection to the Empire and the Empress. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And if that even works, when you leave the safety of the core. I, I am very much aware that uh, that that well will eventually run dry. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm very excited. I, I mean that and this is this is all development for Ning. And we all get to kind of do it together. Absolutely. Um, so we're running out of time. We're actually, we've been streaming and recording for two hours. Oh. Two hours. I know. It's, it's, flown it's crazy. By. Um, flown by. So let's, um, I kind of want to end with our initial impressions. What do you think of, uh, of Quest? Uh, you, could, you could love it. You could hate it. What are the things you like? What are the things you don't like? Um. I could start if you want, or unless you have something you already kind of have, an impression that you already have. Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so for me, I what I like about Quest is that from the more production side, it allows us to focus on the story. And it allows us to engage with its mechanics in a way that will feel impactful and important uh, and flashy <laughs> in our story. Um, I like that. I like how the abilities in a way, guarantee success um, when they are needed in the story. Because, I mean, like, you could be building up to this moment and I could say roll, and then you roll a one. And while a one could be narratively interesting, it might take our production, which is this stream, in a direction maybe we didn't want initially, or maybe something that you didn't envision. So I like how Quest has that mm -hmm. built into it. I like how it's designed. I don't know if it's intentional, but how it's designed for streaming. I think if I had to encapsulate my feelings about this game in like one kind of pithy sentence, it's that it's absolutely not a war game. And that's both like a good thing and a it's it could be a good thing. It also could be a bad thing in that one of the appeals of D&D &D for me is like I like busting out the minis. I like pulling out like the battle map, drawing the terrain. Uh, if, I, if I'm like super pro like Daniel is, I pull out like my three terrain and like we can like play around little doodads and things like that. Um we're not going to get that in Quest. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I am very interested to see kind of if I l- let that go, like what else could happen? So alternatively, alternatively, how can we take quests and make it work with minis? <gasps> like we're just playing with toys, right? It's just like, well, I want to use this ability. I'm going to move here and I'm going to do that. Right. It's true. It's I don't true. see why we couldn't use minis because I fully planned on it. Oh, now I have more to think about, but like that is that is my that is my initial kind of read on the game, and I'm excited. Yeah, I, I mean, I do wonder whether the the underlying assumption when it comes to minis is suddenly this is has to be uh, very precise. You know, you put it on a battle mat and it's five foot squares, but maybe that can also be narrative. Like the distance between the characters is still narrative. You know what I mean? Totally. Or we just get action figures made, and we just. <laughs> Make them fight by smashing them into each other. I like it. I, I agree about the the shining star in Quest is the roles. And they are narratively evocative in a way that I haven't really seen in a game before. In that, like, the way the focus, you can choose the direction of how you're going to envision your character acting versus what they are necessarily good at. It's That's a very fascinating way of guiding character creation and role-playing so i like it i think it's super dope um amar did you have like an opinion i sorry because i know you were vibing off of steve Mm -hmm. i i mean i i think i said what i uh i think i basically said my thoughts at the beginning um i'm also just gonna go back to the mechanics uh is i'm really interested to see how the sort of action economy is influenced by having um, action tokens. Uh, sorry, what are they called again? Action adventure adventure points. points. Um, kind of you know like fate points and stuff. So I'm very interested to see how that develops and how that affects our gameplay. Because you know there's opportunities for us to like hoard it for a bit and then at a climactic moment cash in all our chips to do like a mega super interesting thing, right? Form Voltron. Spend all your adventure points. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be so cool. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna spend ten adventure points to win the game. You, you win. The show's over. We're done. Yeah, Let's exactly. pack up. Let's go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I hope you folks who are tuning in via the podcast or our YouTube channel have enjoyed this. Those of you who have joined us as we are recording live, I hope you enjoyed that as well. This is a first for us. So we're going to figure out formatting and everything like that. Um, as always, Asians represent Dungeons and Asians as part of the One Shot Podcast Network. If you head to OneShotPodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like, let's go with Character Creation Cast, who I really love. Um, they make characters. Uh, they explore different systems, and they, ha- they give you their genuine opinions of you know, what they think of the character creation process, which is something that we just went over with a brand new bo- uh, book and game to us, mm-hmm. Quest RPG. Um, if you have any questions about the themes we discussed on this episode... Um, or anything else related to Asians Represent. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at AZNSRepresent. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find Amar at Amar Ijaz, Agatha at Mighty Shrimp, Steve at DM Steve, and myself at Daniel H. Kwan. If you have personal questions that you'd like to ask us about our preferences in the game, what we think about quests, or anything like that. Um, or, of course, you can email at us. Uh, email at us. Email us at aznsrepresent at oneshotpodcast.com. We're going to go from me to Amar. We're going to try this live. Oh my, gosh. my name is Daniel. 
Steve. <laughs> wait, wait, no, you're going. So we're gonna go on the overlay. We're gonna go me to Amar. So it goes Daniel, Steve, Agatha, Amar. Yeah. Okay. I'm Daniel. I'm Steve. I'm Agatha. I'm Daniel. Oh wait, I screwed what? it up in there. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. What? I'm Amar. <laughs> and you've just listened to Asians represent. represent. Wow. We gotta work on that one line. That's a oh. tough one to do when we're not in. <laughs>